Welcome to Founders Time Podcast, where founders shine. Have you ever thought, I have this idea and I'd love to start a business. I'm just not sure how. Then you're in the right place. Founders Time aimed to inform and empower female vetpreneurs, military, veteran, and military spouses entrepreneurs by sharing actionable steps, tips, and resources to grow your business lean and smart. Everything you would need to start, scale, and succeed. Now, your host, Nierka Castaneda. Are you doing? So this is fun time again. This is uh, Josh Tour, and he has uh, a lot of news to share with us. Um, tell us, you have a, you're launching a book right now, right? So can you tell us about that? Yes, I am. Uh, so my book is called The Value Equation. Um, it's a it's it's a really a, a passion project of mine. Um, you know it. it it's got a couple of roots to it. Uh, the, the first root I would say is that it stemmed out of my desire to help people escape what I call career prison. Um, that, that's what inspired me. Uh, and, and I'll just throw this out there at first. Like my main specialty is franchises. So I, I'm a franchise consultant. I help people that are, that are looking to find their next job or opportunity or business. I help connect them with a franchise that makes sense for what they want to do. Um, and the reason I got into that is because I, I felt trapped in what I call career prison uh, my whole life. And I was actually trapped in a commercial real estate and business brokerage where I was doing it. I'm, I thought I was you know, pretty good at it, um, but it wasn't something I really enjoyed doing. You know, It wasn't something where I got up every morning and I was like, all right, I'm going to go sell commercial real estate and businesses. Um, it wasn't something I was passionate about. I felt it, it came from a life progression choices where I said, this is what makes the most sense. And I did it, uh, but I, I wasn't finding anything that I really wanted to do. And I felt uh, trapped in, in career prison. I think a lot of people might resonate with that term because they feel trapped in their career. So when I found franchise consulting through uh, as kind of, I, I found it through my business brokerage practice, because uh, it's kind of a sub niche of, of business brokerage, I discovered I could help people escape career prison. So, but when you, when you take my passion for that, helping people escape career prison, um, franchise can, franchise is only one way to do it. Um, there's, there's lots of ways that you can better your life, that you can get your life moving forward, that you can get yourself on the right track of, of life progression. And franchising is just one way. And as people kept asking me, you know, franchising is not for everybody, right? Or who is a franchising good fit for it? And I would go through, you know, if you're in this situation, uh, if these are your circumstances, then franchising is perfect. But there are lots of ways to progress outside of franchising. And that's where this book comes in. So in, in this book, The Value Equation, I talk about what are the factors that feed into your take-home pay. So when you get that check every month or every two weeks or every week, whatever it is, um, what are the factors about your life that feed in and create that paycheck? And so through tweaking these different factors, by focusing on these different factors, you can increase the amount you're getting paid, increase your value, your realized value. Because all of your skills, all, all the, the, the foundation you've built for your life that you're sitting on right now, that is, um, that's where you are. That's what you've built. And you can build more on that, uh, but you don't have to stay stuck in it. So we focus on how what you've built has, has built your foundation and the take-home pay. 
and then we focus on how you can tweak it. So the first thing we look at is we look at, I call them the five variables. So realize value, or sorry, this is where I was going with that and I kind of lost it. I had like one of those brain freeze moments. Um, so I call, okay. it, I call it realized value is that take-home pay. And I, and I don't call it take-home pay, I call it realized value because you have all this potential. All of your skills, everything you've done builds into this potential value of how, of, of how much money you could take home at the end of the week. And, uh, but you only realize a portion of that. You only actually expect to see a small amount of what your potential is. And so I call it realized value. It's the amount of, of potential that you actually realize in your life. And so I have what I, I have five variables that feed into realized value. The first is skills. So skills is, is kind of the master variable. It sets the ultimate highest potential that you can make. And so because of that, focusing skills, in my opinion, is the most important thing you can do for continual life development. When you focus skills, you build your potential value. Um, and there's lots of ways you can do that. So, so one of the things I, I focus on my, on my book is that the, uh, the, the next step you take is the foundation of your future. So when you think about what that means, you're sitting on the result of your last step. You're sitting on this foundation. The next step you take is going to set a whole new foundation that your life's going to be launched from. And so you have to think, what am I going to do? Because you can't do everything at once. You can only take one step at a time. You know, a lot of people nowadays, they want to figure out how they can skip 10 steps. You know, <laughs> they want to go from this guy uh, or, or person just kind of like chilling out in their living room, playing games all day to being this multimillionaire running around on yachts. Um, but there's very, very few ways that you get to skip the steps from where you are to where you want to be, you know, if that's where you want to be. Um, it's a series of smaller steps, and each step builds a foundation for the next step. And so you want the, the, each step to be as strong as possible. So developing skills is very important. So we talk about uh, different ways you can do that, whether it's formal education or certification programs, uh, you know, learning specific, you know, computer programs or systems. Um, whether it's developing interest or uh, figuring out what your aptitudes are. Uh, if you think about all the things on a resume, those are the things that are going to feed into your building of skills, your work experience, for instance. So now that you have this potential value of what you can take home every day and you focus on building it up to try to make that potential bigger, the next thing you do is you take that and you, you put it into what I call a fit factor. So fit factor feeds into a couple of things. And so when you think about skills, okay, not all jobs are gonna pay the same for the same set of skills. You know, if somebody gets, gets out of college say, and they get a, one person gets a job for some major corporation, um, they might start out getting paid 60, 70,000 a year. Someone could get out of college and go work for a small business in their hometown and, only, and have the same exact skill set, only get paid 40,000 a year. Uh, so not all jobs are gonna pay the same for the same set of skills uh, it, or, or you know, apply those skills the same. Alter, also, you know, depending on what you put your job into, say you're a CEO of a Fortune 500 company, you get a job as a cashier, you're not gonna be reaching your potential. You know, if you were making 500,000, you go to become a cashier and you find yourself making, uh, let's just say you're even like a, a floor manager cashier, say you're making 50,000. 
which would probably be a lot uh, for that job, but uh, that's 10% of yeah. the potential, right? Um, so he has all these, the, the CEO, he or she has all these skills, uh, but if they're not in a job that utilizes the skills, it's not going to match your potential. Also, not all jobs value the same skills the same way. So I, I like to look at a customer service job. Uh, say you've got two companies, they need to hire a customer service representative. Uh, one of them thinks that customer service is absolutely essential to their business. It's what customers gives them that feel good thing. That's what keeps customers coming back. It will keep, it's what keeps them engaged in the business. And then you have somebody else that says, oh, it's so it's such a hassle that I have to do customer service. I have to just put a warm body in this seat to take returns, uh, to make sure no customers want to like sue us. You know, the person that's excited about that customer service representative is going to pay them more than the person who's not. Uh, so even if it's the same yeah. set of skills in the same job, the person that values that skill set, values that job, is going to pay more for it. Uh, so I, uh, and then kind of the one of the main things I focus on in Fit Factor is what type of job you're going into relative to your skills. And this kind of goes back to that CEO. Are you going for a job that you're overqualified for, such as the CEO going to be a cashier, a job that you're qualified for, which is what most people go for. Most people go for a qualified job. It's a small incremental step. Uh, or do you go for a job that you're underqualified for? And this is uh, might be a controversial statement of mine. I believe that you should aim for jobs you're underqualified for. And this is why I say that. And I, and I don't propose uh, you lying or trying to manipulate your way into something you're underqualified for. It's that you show the energy, you show the ambition that makes them say, you may be underqualified, but we're going to give you a shot because you are a go-getter. Um, it takes a certain mindset to go this route. But if you can get a job you're underqualified for, you're going to develop skills faster. You're going to get paid more for the skills that you have. And your life is going to be like on fast forward, right? Because that's like equivalent to skipping a step. Uh, and you're going to probably face a lot of rejection if you're looking for a job you're underqualified for that you're going to get hired on um, because, you know, it, by definition, you're underqualified. But if you can land one of those jobs, you're developing skills faster, you're going to pay faster, your life's advancing faster. There's a lot, a lot of benefits. Uh, so this is something that I, I encourage. Um, so moving on from there. So now you've got, you've got your skills. You've gone through the fit factor into a specific position. The next thing is profit share. So I break profit share into three categories. Uh, profit share as a employee, profit share as a business owner, and profit share as a franchise business owner or partnership. Because franchising is at its core a partnership. And so the way that this breaks down, and I, I'm gonna use an example of uh, real life statistics that I, I dug up. So there's a major US company they make $60 billion a year in profit, okay? They have a certain number of employees and their average pay per employee is, uh, is 120,000 a year. When you divide that 60 billion in profit by the number of employees, you actually get around 600 or uh, 500,000 in profit per employee. And so this is where I've made kind of a, uh, a value that I, I made up on my own. I call it market value. And I define market value as uh, what's left after you take out expenses and cost of goods sold and all that. Um, when you have all that's left is profit and labor. And that's your market value. That is uh, what you potentially could take home. So if you're a business owner, if it's your business, you get to keep 100% of that market value. And I don't get into taxes. <laughs> you know, that's, that's for a whole nother book. Right now we're, we're going through concepts here. 
Um, so for this business, they're bringing 500,000 in profit or 480,000 is what I, I rounded to for ease of math, uh, plus 120,000 in pay. That's 600,000 in market value that these employees were bringing in per year to the company. And they were getting paid 120,000, which is 20%. So of the, of the value the average employee is bringing, they're getting to keep 20% of that. And that's actually for a healthy company, uh, probably about right. <laughs> you know, 20 to 40%, you know, if you're getting a lot. Uh, you, you actually, if you're an employee, you don't want to have a super high profit share value because say you're getting 100% of the profit and, uh, and pay that you deserve as an employee, that means the company's not making any money and they're probably gonna go bankrupt soon. Uh, so as an employee, you don't necessarily want a high number of your profit share. You want it to be reasonably high. Uh, but too high is actually bad because that means the company's probably going to right. but, uh, but yeah, so you're looking at 20, 40%. As a business owner, you're getting 100% plus you get to leverage employees. So that's the big benefit of business ownership. You get to keep 100% and you get to leverage employees and keep that profit section. And then, uh, and then as a franchise business owner or a partnership, it's a little more complicated. Uh, your profit share is, is a little bit higher than you would get as an employee but you also get to leverage employees like a business owner. Um, and there's a, there's a concept to talk about, which is uh, income generating platforms. And that's what a business is. So if you are working for somebody else, you are incorporating yourself into their revenue generating platform. If you create a business, you are creating a revenue generating platform and you're hiring other people into it. Um, so let's just say that, that, uh, that you own this business and you're making $200,000 a year in market value for yourself great business. You realize you can teach someone to do it. And this person might not be as good as you, but they can generate 150,000 in market value. And you get to keep hundred thousand and you pay them 50,000. That's awesome. And you can scale that to a couple of employees. These employees are getting a benefit. They're getting $50,000 for using your revenue generating platform that wouldn't have existed if you didn't do it. And uh, so one of the things you may think is, well, why would anybody be an employee? You know, if you get to keep hundred percent. And the answer is that there's a lot of risk in owning a business. Yes. Uh, yeah. There, there's no guarantee that, like for instance, that that company they're making 20% of their market value, $120,000. There are an enormous number of business owners out there that never see $120,000. Uh, so that just is a testament to that company that they created such an incredible platform that people can plug in, only make 20% of the market value they're creating, and still make an incredible living. Um, so, but, you know, so, so that's where the risk comes in with business ownership. And then when you have a partnership or a franchise partnership, uh, some of the risks involved, and I, and I go into all this stuff, I, I go into what the risks are involved, how to mitigate the risks. Uh, you know, the book flushes out a lot of different things. Um, but then with the, it's so was, less risky than going it on your own, but not as, but you don't quite get the same, you know, profit potential as doing your own. It, what was your... No, that sounds like a, a pretty good book. Uh, where or I want to read it. And so uh, where can I find it? <laughs> yeah, so it's it's uh, going to be on Amazon. Um, it's called The Value Equation. So if, The Value uh, Equation. Yeah, if you look it up. And I also have a website. Name. Yeah, thevalueequation.org, because it's the equation that feeds into your value. And, uh, and I actually have a freebie there. If you read the book and you like it, um, I'm working on a, a giveaway book. If you go onto the website and you go into the contact us section and, and leave us a testimonial or just feedback, you know, say it's a negative thing. You, I, you hate my book. I'll, I'll still let you have the, the free ebook, but I'm putting together another ebook uh, called the complete life reference guide. Uh, and it's going to be pretty powerful. It's going to have uh, experts giving their, uh, 
lending their expertise to the book in an enormous number of categories. Uh, everything from investment to uh, to fitness, you know, every category you can think of. I, I, I call it the complete life reference guide, and uh, and I'm going to do my best to make it there. We don't have it all together yet, but if you leave your feedback now, um, it will it will get to you when it's done, and I and I'll probably email you some kind of updates and some you know info as as experts feed it in. We put the book together. Um, yeah, so it's uh, I I'm really excited about it. Uh, but this is only, uh, that's only three of the variables. The other two are perceived value and courage. So when you get into wow. perceived value, yeah. When you get into, because these are all the factors. When, when I looked it out, because my background, I have a degree in mechanical engineering. And then I did some time in the military as a civil engineer corps officer. And then uh, I went and got my MBA. Uh, so this was my attempt to take all of the things that feed, like everything that feeds into that take-home check. And so all of these things are like knobs. Or you can look at each one and say, is this something I can improve or not? Uh, so in perceived value, I focus on a lot of different things, um, but a basically a lot of it is relational capital. So a lot of people say you're only as valuable as your network, you know, as, as I, I throw a lot of great sayings in here and I, and I just throw myself like, here's some great sayings and here's why they're important. Uh, you're only as valuable as your network is one. Uh, I talk a lot about the importance of networking, the importance of a good first impression. Um, first, first impression is so important. People don't realize this. Uh, but it, I, in my, one of my MBA classes, they said, uh, it takes three positive secondary impressions to overcome a bad first impression. But honestly, I think it's more than that. Um, because it feeds into bias. And this is something I talk about, uh, kind of at length in my book. I, my book is, is really fast paced. So it's not like I get too in the weeds. Uh, I try to flush everything out adequately, but I try not to just regurgitate things over and over. Cause I know people have short attention spans now. Um, but bias is something you really need to understand. So uh, the idea or the term confirmation bias has gotten a fair amount of publicity in recent days uh, because it feeds into the fake news and whether you believe it or not. Um, so you'll see some kind of uh, news article claiming something that's terrible or something that's great. And depending on whether you internally believe that's true before you even read it will determine whether you lend it credibility or not. Uh, mm -hmm. So, but that's, the, that's always scratching the surface of confirmation bias. When you look at what a first impression is, a first impression is setting the confirmation bias that the person you're meeting has towards you for the rest of your relationship almost. I mean, you can overcome it. Again, it's just much harder than just setting a good first impression. So uh, say, say uh, you, you got your new job or you're going for an interview. That first impression is so important. Or if you're going to uh, meet somebody, even in, in a networking situation, a person's bias towards you is very hard to change after it's set. And so let's just look at some examples of how this is true. Now let's look at a, a pair of siblings. So the parents think that one sibling can do no wrong and they, they could be a terrible person, but the parent thinks the sibling can do no wrong. No matter what that sibling does, the parent's confirmation bias towards that sibling is that they do things that are amazing. They could have another sibling that does things terribly. And no matter how that sibling tries to redeem themselves or, or show that they've changed, the, the parent doesn't believe them. This also goes into friendships. You might have, uh, you know, let, let's say you're in a relationship and you set a bad first impression for your significant other's uh, dad, for instance. You're gonna have to, you, you may never be able to overcome that bad first impression. They're gonna look at every negative thing you do and say that reinforces my negative position. And every positive thing you're gonna do, they're gonna think that there's something negative towards it or whatever. So this is the way that bias works. And it goes, it goes straight through to the workplace. Does your boss think that everything you do is great or do they think that everything you do is bad? 
And so when it comes to overcoming bias, sometimes the best option, in, in my opinion, is to actually move. It's so hard to overcome. If you're in a position where your boss thinks you're terrible, moving to another job and setting a good first impression with the new job so that that boss thinks you're great can be a lot easier than trying to prove to your current boss that you're a good employee. Um, if you're, if you have had like, say a rough childhood and everyone around you and your family and your community has a negative view of you, um, getting out of that geographical situation and just reinventing yourself can be the big best thing you can do to re to, to restarting your life, to go somewhere where people don't have a negative bias towards you. When you show up with your, putting your best foot forward and people say, Hey, that guy's pretty squared away. Like that. It, it's it's kind of a harsh reality, but it's true. Bias once bias is set, it's very hard to change. And so that's what I what I encourage in my book: get out there in your community, uh, get involved. You know, nonprofits or community organizations. Uh, if the town needs volunteers for certain things to sit different boards, you know, get get yourself out there and make sure that in all the situations where you're out there, people are viewing you in a positive light, and that is going to set the bias towards you for new people that you meet. So perception, uh, perceived value is very important. Uh, it's more of a long-term game, you know, working on your perceived value generally isn't a short-term effort, but it can be. So let's just take an instance like you're, you wanna raise at your job. Uh, if you just walk in and say, I've been here two years, I deserve a raise. You may get a good response, you might not. If you say in three months, I'm gonna ask for a raise. And then over those three months, you think to yourself, what was the one or two or three things the boss really focused on you taught me um and uh and i focus on those things and i i do things to show how valuable i am then i ask for the raise that builds your perceived value to them before you ask them for something and this also this also is a a, a thing i talk about in my next section on uh, uh on courage but controlling how people perceive you can control their reality and how you sit in it um, it's, it's kind of scary, but perception is reality and perception is something you can control. And so if you can control the way you're perceived, you control how you fit into other people's realities. That's, it's kind of like this bizarre thing. I don't go too deep into that. Cause it's like a rabbit hole that goes around in circles, but, um, it is, it's very true. Uh, and then the last thing we talk about, it is what it yeah, is. last thing we talk about is courage. <laughs> no, nothing matters if you don't uh -huh. have the courage to do it. If you don't have the courage to ask for that raise, if you don't have the courage to go out there and learn new skills, uh, there's something I talk about in my book called strategic employment, where you take a job just to learn a system or a program or a skill set, uh, even if it's less pay. If you don't have the courage to step out and do those things, uh, you're, you're never going to get anywhere. So that, that's yeah. kind of the brief overview of my book. There's lots of things that could be talked about, investment and all that. I don't get into that. What I, All I focus on is your take-home paycheck every single aspect that feeds into it that I could possibly come up with. And then I, I focus it with specific examples of how you can apply it. And here's the goal. The goal of the whole thing is to inspire you, to inspire the reader. So I, I have three case studies I go through at the end of each section. I look at the case study and say, uh, here's the person's situation. Here's the different options they have using the value equation principles. And the goal is that when you're looking at it, that, you, that something will, will spark in you and say, that's something concrete I can do to better my life. And you may have a bunch of those through the books. I talk about probably thousands of different things. And I, and I, I don't wanna tell you to do all those at once. You'll burn yourself out. Uh, but if you can identify one or two, three things that you can do uh, at a time, you know, if there's a bunch of things, whittle it down to the most things the most important, you don't wanna burn out. 
uh, and just focus those and go, go through them. And, uh, and that's my goal is to inspire you to see what it is in your life that you can do to take your life to the next level, to get out of career prison, to get out of the slump, get out of being stuck, all that. And uh, it's, uh, it's a book I'm very passionate about. You know, I, I had people tell me different ways to write books. So you could just dictate it and have other people write it together. And I'm like, no, I, I understand that that's one way to write a book, but this is something I'm personally very passionate about and I'm gonna handcraft every word of it. So that's what I did. Uh, and I really hope that uh, people get a lot of value. There's, there's, no, it sounds like an amazing book and there's no really a right way to write a book. You write yeah. as, you know, you, you gotta start writing from the end and then you just organize it later. Uh, that's you what know, I did. I said, the, the end of my book is, how do I increase my take-home check every day at the end of the month <laughs> or every, every week? That was the end. And I just yeah. I worked it back from there. You know, it sounds like a pretty amazing book for real. Uh, so I definitely going to read it. And do you have a, a, a the cover? Do you, you have something to show for our readers? Uh, not at the moment. Uh, we're actually uh, recording this this podcast slightly before it comes out. It should be coming out this next week. So I, I don't have that to show yet, but uh, it should be available. Uh, you can put it in the show notes and we'll, we'll have a link to all that stuff when this is over. So but th there's definitely a lot of um, scenes that resonated with me. What are you saying? Being stuck and a in a corporate career <laughs> that's definitely one of them yeah and everything you describe that's pretty much entrepreneur life right you have to take action you have to you know here i'm gonna so, take a second i'm gonna read you something uh that is actually going to be on the back cover of my book uh, <laughs> Because, uh, so the back cover of my book reads, prepare yourself for your next job, promotion, wait, raise, wage negotiation, or business by understanding where your value comes from and how you can maximize it. You are the CEO of your life and it's time to lead. So one of the inspirations for this book uh, is that I believe that you need to view your life as an entrepreneurial pursuit. And it doesn't matter if you ever start a business developing yourself, you are your business. So developing yourself, even if you're an employee, developing your skills, developing your perceived value, uh, finding ways to, to, to maximize the effectiveness of your skills and the type of job you take, um, all of these things feed into your life enterprise. And so that's the way it is. It's, it's a very entrepreneurial book, except that I think that your life is your business, not necessarily having to start a business. So I do talk about starting a business in the book, uh, but I don't necessarily weigh it as better or worse than being an employee because all of it is about your goals, what you're trying to get to and the optimal path there. So that's actually one of the things I talk about with courage is uh, I talk about different ways to, to mitigate fear about how to prepare for something so that you're not just jumping into the, the cold end of the pool, uh, jumping into the cold end of the pool, jumping into the deep end of the pool. 
Um, and I was actually thinking ahead to this example. But like, say, say you're on the beach and it's freezing outside. The water's like 32 degrees and you're in your bathing suit and you're thinking about running into the water. It's gonna take a lot of courage to run into that freezing cold water in your bathing suit. But what if you take some steps to prepare? What if you go to the store, you get a dry suit, uh, which is like a type of wetsuit that's made for really cold weather. Uh, you put it on and you insulate yourself. And now suddenly it's still gonna be a little cold on your face. It takes a little bit of courage, but now it's not nearly as difficult. And that's one of the things I talk about in Courage is how to prepare yourself to break things down into steps. Uh, I also, you know, talk about things like goal setting and different, different ways that you can take something that could be really scary and break it down into steps that aren't nearly as scary. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. so that's uh, one step at a time. Yeah. And well, that's one of the things that personally, I, I know that your, your podcast is, is about, you know, how people got into entrepreneurship. Right. Um, and that's with, with myself. The biggest thing that happened to me is I had to learn to focus on what I could do and not what I couldn't do. Uh, I, I had a rough time. Uh, I got medically separated from the military. I had all kinds of diagnoses of like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, uh, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. My heart would jump up to 160 just from standing up and nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And wow. uh, it, it was really bad for almost a, a year. And I got medically retired. I, I could barely stand up. You know, I had to get a motorized wheelchair to get around. <laughs> my wife had to drive me because my arms were fatigued on the steering wheel. It, it was it was bad. Uh, but even after the worst period was over, and you know, I got through things like the suicidal ideations and that kind of stuff. Is I, I have so much sympathy now when I see people suffering with those types of things. Um, I, I went through another four years where I still could barely get up off the couch, uh, and then. I, I hit a switch. Uh, I, one day, you know, I found I was able to sit up for an hour, which for me was a huge deal. And I started thinking, you know, it's not about what I can't do. It's about what I can do. I can sit up right now for an hour. And I thought about what I could do with that. And I decided to go back to school for my MBA. And that was tough. I, I couldn't sit through, I could sit up for an hour, but I couldn't do three hours for a night class. Uh, I found myself, you know, having to swallow my pride and lay down in the back of the classroom or lay down in the hallway, like intermittently, because uh, I couldn't stay sitting up that long. I had too much fatigue. Um, but I got through it and I got my MBA. And as the symptoms started to recede and I started actually getting what you would call a normal life, uh, that mindset of focusing on what I can do and not on what I can't do uh, is really the backdrop for all of it. I mean, that's how I got into entrepreneurship in the, to begin with is when I finished my MBA, I got a commercial real estate and business brokerage. Uh, through business brokerage, I discovered franchise consulting. And, uh, you know, after that, it was just following opportunity and taking the courage to take that step. You know, when the opportunity kind of fell in my lap to do some stuff internationally, I started flying around the world, hosting franchise conferences. Um, and I just, I just finished one a couple of weeks ago for Discover America in Bahrain. A lot less flying now uh, because I can do it virtually, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's those type of things. If you don't have the courage to do it, if you don't focus on what you can do uh, instead of what you can't do, you're going to miss out on a whole lot. And, and actually, the, if, I, if I were to say the, the original inspiration for this book, uh, I was actually started to write a book called this Defeating Disability which is using this uh, entrepreneurship to, to, to do exactly that. Using entrepreneurship to focus on what you can do and not on what you can't. Because if you're disabled, there are lots of things you can't do. People in the marketplace may devalue you because you can't do X, Y, or Z. 
Uh, but with entrepreneurship, you can look at what you're capable of and then just finding a way to create an income generating platform with what you're capable of. But I realized as I was writing it, that there were so many concepts I needed to flush out that I needed a whole nother book before I could write it. So don't be surprised if, if you have me back on here like a, a year from now talking about my new book, Defeating Disability. Uh, but the, the value equation is actually- Definitely. Yeah. The value equation is actually a prequel to that book uh, because you know I, I went through that. And so that's what the book is all about. The book is all about looking at what you can do and having the courage to step forward and do it. And I, I try to inspire people as much as possible through the book to look at their own lives and, and find things in their own lives that they can do with lots of practical examples. I don't like fluff, so there's not a lot of fluff in there. Uh, I, you know, it sounds inspiring. So I, I'm sure the writing book, uh, the book itself is gonna be amazing. So I can't wait to read it. You know, it definitely oh, sure resonates with me a lot of points. Yes, please. And you know, your life itself is amazing. Overcoming disability, or, um, a bet, being a veteran, I know that's not an easy life. Um, and just learning how to reimburse yourself over and over. Yeah, that is starting, starting a new career from scratch after a five-year hiatus because I was too sick to do anything. Um, which in light of my own book, I would say I wasn't too sick to do anything. I was too focused on all I couldn't do. There's probably things I could have done. I just, I didn't have that mindset at the time. Uh, but yeah, it's reinventing your career from scratch is very difficult. But that's also what's inspired me to take this approach where I say in my book, uh, your next step is the foundation of your future uh, because it's not about how, all the things that have happened to you in your life that have gotten you to where you are today has set the foundation that you're standing on. But that's not the end of the story. You know, right. where, you, where you go from here is what determines your story moving forward. So no matter where you're starting from, that's not the end. And, and it's this, in my life transition is what kind of built that perspective in this book. And I, I think there's a lot of people in that same situation and I'm really hoping I can reach them. <laughs> yeah, definitely, you know. There's more than one way to change your life uh, and to kind of stop living half a life. When we settle for the job that pay the bills, sometimes that's not the best answer for ourselves. Um, you know, no entrepreneurship is not for everybody, but it, for the people that are, the solution is kind of liberating, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I actually address this in my book, never settle a job that just pays the bills unless you know it's temporary. <laughs> While you're yeah. taking that job that settles the bills, be looking for the other job that has the skills you need to advance. Or while you're doing the job to settle the bills, uh, start a side business. And I, I, I have like uh, probably 50 different examples of side businesses in the books uh, that I go through and examples on how you can start them. Uh, but do something so that you are developing skills so that you're not, so that you're in that job as short as possible. If you're not developing skills in that job, it's, it's a placeholder that's not going to get you anywhere. So I, I, I'm very, uh, kind of firm on that in the book. <laughs> yeah, I can bet. Um, and you also mentioned that, um, you work with franchises. So what can you tell 
people that are that want to start a franchise or what what is um how they know it's a good fit for them what they should be looking out for um so that's my background so when what's the best so of the of the many things that fed into my inspiration for this book one of them was that uh, as a so i'm a franchise consultant people come to me and and i help them find the right franchise um, kind of like a W-2 headhunter. So if you're familiar with, with that, you go to somebody there to give them your resume or whatever, and then they try to find you a job. And then that job pays them for connecting the two of you. And, I, and I, it's the same way with me. I, I help connect people with franchises and then the franchise pays me for making the connection. Um, so that's what I'm doing. And throughout the years, you know, I've gotten a fair amount of pushback here and there from like really kind of like the rabid entrepreneurs. Like you don't need a franchise, you don't need help. You can make your own business. And I've had to explain many, many times uh, that there, that, you know, you're not the perfect person for a franchise. You'd probably do very bad in a franchise. You know, uh, a franchise is best suited for somebody that wants to step out into business ownership, but doesn't really know how they know they want to make a change. They want to leverage all of their soft skills uh, like leadership or management or, uh, or, or, you know, any of them really sales. They want to leverage them. Uh, but they don't want to step out completely on their own. So you partner with a franchise system and uh, franchises aren't just food. A lot of people think that. Um, so anyway, so going through these different people and, and explaining to people, this is, this is who the right person is for a franchise and, and here's where they need to be in life for it to really kind of make sense. Uh, it kind of inspired this whole thing because I, my passion is about breaking people out of career prison. Franchising is just one way to break people out of career prison. That's why I was attracted to it in the first place, uh, franchise consulting. Uh, but this book is for flushing out all the other ways you can break out of career prison. So <laughs> franchising is in there because right. it's my, my area of niche expertise, um, but it's definitely not the only way. But I would say franchising is ideally suited for two different types of people. It's ideally suited to the person uh, that wants to start a business and wants to start something that's probably lower risk because franchises are generally tested in multiple markets, sometimes hundreds, thousands of markets. Uh, so the business model's there and they just want a partner to help them uh, make sure that their business is going to get off on the right foot and succeed. Uh, for that, a lot of times I'll, I'll use an example. Um, you know, a, a lot of people go out and they start, you know, you'll see the initial landscaping businesses, right? B&R landscaping, M&D landscaping. Um, and it's really easy to get into a landscaping business on your own, but a, a franchise uh, landscaping business I work with knows how to build a system up to seven figures. Like the, if you were to start one on your own, do you know how to build a landscaping business of seven figures? So it's, it's partnering with somebody to, to help you start your business and start leveraging employees uh, without you having to figure it all out. Cause starting your own business it's a lot, you know, figuring out the employment rules and figuring out marketing and your product placement and uh, all the enormous number of things that go into starting your own business. It's a lot. And then it takes years. So you might start out really kind of small and work your way up. And it could be five or 10 years before you get your business to the point that you could have started out with day one in a franchise business. So in that respect, I say that buying a franchise is kind of like buying time because you're buying your own time. It's time that you would have sunk into years developing a, a separate business, but you can jump straight into it with a franchise. Um, so that's the first one. It's somebody that wants to start a business, but, but doesn't really know how. They have the motivation. They want to break out of career prison, uh, and they just want someone to help them do it. 
The second thing, the second person that franchising is good for is the empire builders. So a franchise system by design is modular. Generally, there are units, there are territories, um, and you can expand out using uh, designated managers or uh, passive ownership or semi-passive ownership franchises. You can expand out and build a portfolio of franchises. And this could be uh, a whole bunch of the same franchise through like an area development deal. Um, this could be a master franchise where you are recruiting other franchisees underneath you. Um, or you could actually build a portfolio of multiple franchises. You, you could start multiple franchises with multiple brands. And uh, so for empire builders that want, that want systems that are already passive enabled, where you can put in a manager and let them run it, uh, and you want to build an empire, franchising works really well for that. So those are kind of the two, there's lots of hybrids in between there, but the two main ones are people looking to break out of career prison and want some help and people looking to build an empire. So those are the main two people that franchising is ideal for. Is there like a test they can take or something? I, well, I have a, uh, you know, for the empire builders, a lot of the times those people already know what they want. Uh, for people that want to break out of career prison, um, they have, they can use someone like me for a resource uh, where I can look at their situation. And then I, I also have, uh, like, if you see my email tagline, it says certified franchise navigator. Uh, there's a behavioral assessment system specifically for franchising that goes through your aptitudes and helps me determine what type of franchises you're good for, what type of organization you're a good fit for, uh, your ambition level, and whether we should try to look at one kind of large organization or one small organization or multiple units, um, what your sales style is, whether you can do direct sales, whether you need to do indirect sales, whether you just need to step back with like a retail location and let the retail do the sales for you. Um, you know, how much what you do has to matter and contribute to society as a whole. All these things we can actually measure and that can help me direct you towards individual franchises. And as an added bonus, uh, a, a fair number of franchises have a high performer profile in the system already. So we could even get a high performer match that says, hey, uh, you have the profile that matches the highest performers in this system. So that that's, doesn't always happen, but when it does, you know, it's a nice bonus. So there, that's a test of sorts. Uh, for the okay. people looking to escape career prison. And looking at the other side of that, so if somebody that has uh, that starts a business and want to franchise it eventually, what what's something that maybe they should be doing from the beginning? To because it takes time. Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is you need to build an above-average business. <laughs> that is the, right. the hardest thing to do. Uh, is you, you, the first thing you have to do is you have to build a business that's better than your competitors, that's making great money. And then the, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't look at franchising as the thing that's going to take your business to the next level because your business should already be at the next level by the time you look at franchising. That, that's the first thing I would say. Um, franchising is a way for you to scale your business. It's not going to build your business. Uh, mm -hmm. I guess is a better way to phrase what, what I just said. Um, so the first thing you need to do is you need to build a great business. The second thing you need to do is you need to make sure that that business can run without you. So many businesses out there cannot run if the owner wasn't working in it day to day. But when you look at a franchise business, you have to take someone, a franchisee, a designated manager, someone that's not you has to be able to step into your shoes and run something almost as well as you do. So that's also very difficult. That, that means you have to create training programs. You have to, you have to document what you're doing. 
you have to figure out how you can train someone to basically replace you. <laughs> and so that's the second thing. Third, and this is optional, because uh, you could, if you, if you have those two things figured out, you could start franchising right there. Um, but the third that I would say is create multiple locations yourself. So the way that most franchise businesses expand quickly is through area development deals, multi-franchise, multi-unit deals. And, uh, and, this, and it depends on your business type. Not all, not all franchises use the multiple unit model. Some just have one organization with territories. Um, but if you do have a business that is a location based um, or somewhat small territory based, open multiple locations, get managers running them and document everything because that is how you're gonna train other people in the future. And if you've never done it yourself, how are you gonna train them to do it? So if you've, if you've created one great organization, you've figured out how to replace yourself, someone comes to you and says, hey, I wanna buy up, uh, you know, you've defined a territory, I wanna buy up three territories around Atlanta. Well, if you don't know how to open and put managers in three locations yourself, how are you gonna train them to do that? So this is my, my, my number one optional recommendation is open multiple locations yourself, with managers and get them running it. Then when you're ready to franchise, sell those locations or even uh, uh, do owner financing to the managers and make those managers your franchisees. Cause that allows those, those franchise, those new franchisees can do validation for you. Um, if you've got a new franchise with nobody to validate that franchise, which validation is when people call the existing franchisees and just kind of ask them for their feedback on the system. If you don't have anybody that can do that, it's a real hard sell because all your competitors are doing that. They all have people that can validate. So by doing it this way, not only get the experience of knowing how to train future multi-location owners on how to expand to multiple locations, but uh, then you can sell off those multiple locations to become your first franchisees and do validation and it'll really help get your franchise off on a good foot. How's that? There's also a bunch of paperwork involved. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah. So you're going to want to engage a franchise law firm. Uh, make sure it's a franchise one. Don't, don't engage a regular business. Franchising is its own specialty. So you wouldn't engage a business lawyer to be your divorce attorney. Uh, you know, you wouldn't uh, involve a trial lawyer maybe to put together your will. Uh, there's a million different specialties in law and franchising is its own specialty. So don't go to a, like with anything in franchising. You want to use franchise attorneys, not general business attorneys. Um, but yeah, franchise disclosure documents are pretty expensive. Um, there are franchise development companies you can also use that will help you put together your training materials. And uh, I work with a few of those and I can make recommendations if, if people are interested in that. Um, so you can do it yourself, uh, bootstrap it, and you know it'll probably take you 20 to, 20 to 40 grand in paperwork, lawyer fees. Uh, you can hire a development team to do it, and that'll probably run you probably 80 to 150. It really depends how much work you need done. Um, but you'll probably get a much better product than trying to do it yourself. Uh, and, then, and then after that, it feeds on. I mean, there's franchise marketing companies, and you can you know outsource your lead uh, validation to try to vet your fran the potential franchisees. There's a lot that goes after that, but all of that is paperwork and investment. And, uh, but the main thing is build a business that makes money and the money it takes to build a good franchise system isn't gonna be a huge problem. <laughs> uh, you know, know how to train your franchisees 
And especially if you got people walking into your business saying, how do I do what you do? That's probably a good indication you might want to start thinking about franchising. Because uh, if you have people approaching you already saying, I want to do what you're doing, I want to take your brand to this city or that city, that's also a good indication you should start looking that way. That sounds like another series coming up of books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Franchise is my area of expertise. Uh, I could talk about it forever. Uh, the value equations got maybe four pages on franchising. So don't, don't think that uh, my book's going to be all pe preaching franchising. I, my goal is to help people get from one stage of life to the next. Franchising is one really incredible way that people can uh, break out of career prison but it's definitely not the only way. And my book is focused on all of those other ways uh, as well, so. Oh, it sounds amazing. It definitely, it's really good. Any, um, any and golden nuggets that you want to share? You already shared like a, a whole book. <laughs> so. Uh, actually the book is a lot, lot more in depth than that. <laughs> I, I just glossed over the whole book. Um, <laughs> But yeah, the, uh, my, my, my biggest golden nugget is focus on what you can do, not what you can't. That's, that's the biggest thing. And, and, and always, always focus on skill development. Like you can even use your hobbies for skill development. You can use your interests. You, you might like, uh, you might like making little clay sculptures. Like my daughter, I, I have a, a 10 year old daughter who makes these cute little clay sculptures. And uh, we actually have a, a local business that might want to start selling them, <laughs> but that's just her hobby. You know, it's just make a couple bucks off of it. It'd be fun a good entrepreneurship training for, her. Um, but you know, you might like something and you might be able to turn that hobby into a skill development and, and, and skill, skill development is such a broad category. So say you, say you like art or woodworking, or uh, you, you really think 3d printers are fascinating. So you buy a 3d printer it's not hard to take that hobby or take that interest of yours and just start making a, a little side business out of it. There might be, you know, you might make some 3D logos for some businesses down the street, distribute them and say, hey, you want me to make some more, you know, pay me a few bucks and I, I can make all kinds of stuff for you. Uh, and then not only do you get to do something that interests you, a hobby of yours, you get to make a little money doing it, but then you also start building skills on how to market that product, how, uh, how businesses are formed. You might need to form an LLC. Um, you know, you start, you start learning all of these things that previously you had no knowledge on, and now you're learning all of these skills and it's just through your own hobbies. Uh, if, whatever you can do, you know, the best way to keep your life moving forward is to always keep yourself learning new skills. Uh, and there are so many ways to build skills, some through strategic employment or through your job, some through your hobbies, um, some through networking. Uh, there's so many ways. So Continual skill development, uh, everything you do is going to keep your life moving forward and, uh, and always focus on what you can do. Uh, don't look at what you can't. If, you, if there's something you can't do, just focus on alternate ways to do it. So. There's always a way. I, I'm a firm believer of that. Um, one of my favorite books 
oh, all time I read it when I was a child. It was about this guy that lose his feet at a frostbite. And he was a pilot. He learned how to fly again without feet. So the only person that can stop you is yourself. You know, you just have to go pushing forward. Well, some might say he had a couple thousand feet beneath him. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a dad. I have to throw out dad jokes every now and then. <laughs> but yeah. No, but um, it's great. I look forward to reading your book. Um, any final tips? Any final words? I think that about sums it up. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and uh, talk to your audience about my book and a little bit about my story. And I hope I'm able to help some people uh, through it. So, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. Um, we're definitely going to share with all our readers and, and the listeners. And when is your book is going to be available to purchase? Well, uh, we're recording this. Uh, you know, November 19th. I'm hoping within the next week, uh, two weeks at the most. So uh, my goal has been Thanksgiving and I believe that uh, that it's gonna be out by Thanksgiving, if not the week after. So okay. that's- Do that's you have- my, I have a website have... for it, uh, yeah. valueequation.org. Uh, you just spell it right out, thevalueequation.org and that'll take you to my website. And uh, also, there's a. There, I think I talked about it earlier, but there is a freebie there too. I'm giving out the uh, the complete life reference guide. Uh, it's not done yet, but if you leave some feedback about my book through the website, uh, I will send it to you uh, when it's ready. I maybe send you some extra tips out of it uh, in between time. So, I say that a lot. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure having you, and we look forward uh, to that sequel. After the after we read this book, I'm sure there's going to be a thousand more coming um, with all the knowledge that you have. So uh, I, there are so many additional books that are going through my head on this. Um, so hopefully, yeah. I mean, there's the one I talked about defeating disability. I have this funny idea of making one geared towards high schoolers, uh, where they get to like treat their life like a role playing game, where they get to like. You know, they're going through college and they're choosing their class. You know, <laughs> like here's how you can keep leveling up. Uh, I thought that sounded fun. Um, maybe partner with a with a career counselor to help me uh, co-write it. Um, I've uh, I've got a, a couple other ones. I, I definitely want to. There's a sequel that definitely needs to be made on investment. Uh, investment's very important, but it was beyond the scope of this book. So I I, I briefly touch on it at the end. Uh, just to show how important investment is, um, but I don't, I don't really go in depth at all. So that, that's a definite follow-on that needs to be made. So I, I, have, I have at least three books that are uh, that are up in the noggin. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely have time to talk about those in the future, I'm sure. Okay. Well, it was a pleasure having you here. Um, see you next time. Really Alrighty. Soon. Thanks for having me. Hey.
Thanks for joining me for this episode of Founders Time Podcast. Remember, subscribe to our newsletter at founderstime.com for more tips and tricks on how to make your podcast great. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts.